You are listening to the Solomon's Corner Podcast, a place for thinkers. Join us as we explore the depths of theology, philosophy, and the Christian intellectual life. Welcome to the Solomon's Corner Podcast, a place for thinkers. We are a modest podcast, so if you are all about supporting the little guy, share our podcast wherever you feed your digital dopamine addiction. If you want to join the conversation, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Telegram, or email your questions, comments, concerns, or funny jokes to mail at solomonscorner.com. Once again, that's mail at solomonscorner.com. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts. Thank you for joining me. Before I start into this episode in detail. I just want to thank everybody who's left a five-star review already. If you have not done that, please uh, continue to listen to this show and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and write something really, 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 really nice. That'd be great. So let's just get into it. So Maritan and the Roots of Nihilism. So if you are on your way to work this morning and you saw this title and you decided to pull it up, I hope that you are doing well. Uh, otherwise, I think you'll find it interesting. For those that don't know, nihilism is uh, pretty much the most depressing philosophy possible. So I'm going to hopefully shine some light on that for you and not make this so depressing. But there's a lot to learn from Maritain and nihilism because he believed it at a time in France prior to World War II. He was not a Christian. He was more of like a cultural Christian. And he found himself in the University of Sorbonne, which is one of the most famous universities in in France and one of the oldest. What we find there, though, is that the universities in Maritain had been immersed and the culture had been immersed in this modern philosophical project. And what we mean by that is this rejection of traditional philosophy, the common sense philosophy of Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas, others. Those are the big ones. And the replacement of a more modern Cartesian philosophy. But the reason why we picked Maritain as, as an author for the book, Christianity and Democracy, for our first set of episodes, is because in his political theory, he was writing Christianity and Democracy in 1942, at a time when Christian apathy was very, very high, that Hitler was ravaging Europe, And he was coming through this time in which the world seemed like it was going to just descend into darkness. And with the pandemic and with the Ukraine war happening, we find ourselves not in the exact situation, but you can get the sense that there is still this, there is this fear of unknown and and what the future holds. And everyone just seems to be on edge about the political state that we're in. And Maritain was writing this at a time in which the world was in a similar place. And he was a Christian, and he believed not that our hope would be found in some distant rapture of us out of the situation, but that the hope for society would be an activated Christianity that saw the inspiration of the gospel as having implication for political thought. And that's the argument that he makes in Christianity and Democracy. And so those episodes will be coming out, like we said earlier, uh, later on this week. We're going to put them in bite-sized pieces for you. We'll just cover each chapter one by one. But I want to make sure you guys understand the reason for why we've chose Maritain. Because, and, and the short answer is, is that he is very relevant for the times that we're in. 
But this podcast is going to be slightly different, a little more background, a little more informative. But there's a lot of spiritual application. And when I was preparing for the podcast and reading Christianity and Democracy, I realized that Maritan was a Christian that we could all learn from. And so I wanted to do an episode about his life and the experiences he had as a Christian in France prior to the war, obviously, and how those are very similar to our own culture in America. And so we're going to dive right in. So first, the parallels of American universities and French universities. When we read McInerney, who wrote the biography on Jack Maritain, it's called The Very Rich Hours of Jack Maritain, he talks about the nihilism that Maritain and his wife, Reza, I think I'm saying that correctly, I might not be saying that correctly, but it's got an I with two dots over it. So however you're supposed to say it, Reza is how I'll say it from this point on. They both had adopted this nihilistic view, this hopeless view of the world, and it was credited to the modern philosophical ideas that had been rooted in Cartesianism. Now, that's not a dig at people who like Descartes, okay? I'm not saying that Descartes was this conspiratorial philosopher who believed that he could take over the ivory tower and bring darkness upon all the land. That's not what I'm saying. It's just that ideas have consequences, and Aristotelianism and Thomism has consequences too, and we'll talk about those at a later date. Right now, we're going to pick on Descartes. But the point is, is that Descartes set out on this project And he may not have fully realized what the implications were. First of all, he was a brilliant philosopher and mathematician. And secondly, he had a lot of influence based on his writings because he did launch a modern project of let's start over, essentially. If you read Coppelston's History of Philosophy, Volume 4, you'll see in there that Descartes was disappointed in his education by the, the Thomistic Aristotelian school of thought. He felt like the ideas that he was being taught had just gotten way overloaded. Just tons of terminology. Everybody would use the same terms, but use them in a different way. One of the best examples is the term accident for us today. If I say the word accident to you, you probably think a car crashing into another car. But in Thomistic philosophy, the idea of accident is that it's not something that's required by the nature of the thing. So, for example... If I lose my arm, I'm not less human than I was before because it's accidental to my nature. I can still be a human being and still possess the the rights of a human being whether I've lost my arm or not. I don't suddenly become a different thing. But if all of a sudden I grew ears and hair and fur and got on all fours and started barking like a dog, we would probably question whether or not I was still human. And so that's because the nature of a thing has accidents and it has essential qualities. And if you look at what Descartes was up against, Descartes was frustrated with this bloated metaphysical description of the world and he was frustrated with the lack of clarity. He he just saw all these terms and he wanted more clarity. And so his initial desire was justified. It was it was some might say even virtuous. You know, there's nothing wrong with wanting clarity. But in the way he approached it and the influence he ended up having, his method became a cudgel against religion, something that I don't think he necessarily intended because he was a Christian. But this wouldn't be the first time that Christians set out to do something and ended up messing things up. So we get a quote of this, just so you guys know I'm not making this up, uh, from McInerney, where he talks about their 
perspective on life and how it was rooted in this Cartesian thought. McInerney writes, quote, Descartes had concluded that what was needed was a method that would turn opinion and falsehood into certainty and truth. But the intellectual morass in which Reza and Jacques found themselves was, in many ways, a logical development from what Descartes had set in train, end quote. And I'm assuming train here, for us common folk out there, is just set in motion. But want to get accurate on the quote. That's page 16, by the way. Others have also noticed this, this trend. And if you look at the foreword in Christianity and Democracy, Dr. Dennehy writes, quote, René Descartes inadvertently bequeathed to modern culture the philosophical rationale for discarding faith as a valid source of knowledge. And so unintentionally, Descartes brought in a system that really relegated faith and religion to the outer sphere of society in terms of having influence on morality, on pragmatism, on policy. A lot of these religious ideas were suddenly thought to be merely opinion because if it couldn't be arrived at by unaided reason, what that means is it's just on your own steam, your own mind. If these ideas that you were putting forward as a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew were merely the dictates of your priest or your pastor or your imam, then there was no way that they could validate it rationally. And so that's good for you, but I'm going to stay over here in, in rational world. And so what we see here is the seeds of modern philosophy had been planted many years ago, and now they're coming to fruition in Maritan's life in college. And they're also coming to bear in America. And they have been sitting in America for a long time. So to just give you a parallel here, in Tocqueville's Democracy in America, and for those who don't know, Alexis de Tocqueville was, was called America's philosopher. And if you haven't, this is a side, side plug, but if you have not picked up the Penguin Classics version of a Democracy in America, it is definitely worth it. The introduction alone is worth it. But in there, in volume two, part one, he says, America is thus one of the countries in the world where the precepts of Descartes are least studied and most widely applied. This idea of philosophy being at the core of a, of a society's lifestyle and the way that they do policy and the way they perceive religion and the way they perceive their, nature, their neighbor is really important. And Maritan gives us firsthand accounts of what that looks like. In a lot of ways, what we're just doing here is we're looking back on his life and we're seeing that he lived out what we are living out right now in our universities. And so if you just look at the stats from Pew Research, you can see just, again, that there's something going on in our country. Pew Research on December 14th, 2021, about 3 in 10 U.S. adults are now religiously unaffiliated. Think about that again. The effects, the theory is that the effects of a modern philosophical approach will say, your religion can stay over here, but the only thing that you can find certainty in is in rational scientifically justified thought. You keep your religion over there, but let's just be honest, you're not really certain about it because faith is no longer, in a modern philosophical context today, a valid source of knowledge. It's just your opinion. And so you can look at this on, on Pew Research. I'll put it in the link in the description. That from 2007 to 2021, we had a drop of 15% 
of people who identified as Christians who now identify as religiously unaffiliated. The total percentage now who say they have no religion is 30%. This is, I think we can say, is, a, is at least a parallel to what Maritain went through in Sorbonne. And so how deep was the nihilism, right? And, and we'll get to more of how this brought this about, but essentially Maritain is, is immersed in this Cartesian cocktail of, of, of Cartesian doubt think uh, uh, the I think therefore I am kind of a, a philosophy. He's in this, I'm just going to question everything until, until something justifies itself. But he's also in this materialist university system that believes that you are at bottom a bag of chemicals. And so for him and his wife, we didn't get into it, but they had tragic lives. And when this idea of a tragic life comes, into, comes to meet a dark philosophy with materialism as its foundation, you have this deep-seated nihilism that comes into the mind of the, of the person. And so Raysa writes this. This is, again, Maritan's wife. I would have accepted a sad life, but not one that was absurd, end quote. This description mirrors the nihilism that is permeating our culture. And we can see just in the rates of people walking away from their faith in college, what is it that's making them walk away from their faith in college? It's not merely that there's a materialist professor there. It's not merely that there's somebody who's making fun of their faith there. It's a combination of the culture that they are in and the Christianity that they had also adopting a Cartesian philosophy. And so the way that this looks is best described with the parallel of what Descartes was doing. Descartes wanted to set forth a method that would conform everything in science to that method. And the method's starting point was doubt. And so he tried to find this axiom, this axiomatic belief that he would be able to say, all right, everything has to conform to this one belief because it's irrefutable. And this is how it's formulated. I think, therefore, I am. If I'm doubting, I must be thinking, therefore I can't deny that I exist. And that's his principle. And he says everything else now needs to, in general, come and conform to this. American Christians also adopted the same method. They said, well, we can't trust our senses, so we need to just conform every science that we have to the Word of God. And of course, the secular Cartesian says, well, how do you know you have the Word of God? Why not the Greeks over there? They have more Bibles than the Catholics. They have more books of the, in the Bible than the Catholics and you. Why isn't their book the right one? Or the Catholics, they have more books in their Bible than, than yours. Why do we have to listen to your Bible? Why not listen to just the Old Testament? And now the rational razor just starts coming through and starts hacking at the, at the university student who has no fault of their own just been living a faithful Christian life in the unknown philosophical milieu in which they find themselves. And the problem is, is that a Christian can't beat Cartesianism at its own game. Now, there might be some really smart philosophers out there that will take me to the woodshed on that, which would be great. Come on to the podcast. I would love it. But what I mean by this is that think of Jesus and doubting Thomas. When Thomas is doubting that Jesus rose from the dead. What 
ends up convincing him is touching the hands and feet of Jesus. It's not the argument. It's the experience. And then from that experience, he goes out and and he becomes a, a, a follower again. Jesus also says, though, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. This idea of Christianity is to have a holistic view of reality, not just I'm a Cartesian or I'm an Aristotelian, but to take the discoveries of great minds and integrate them, not conform them, integrate them into the word of God as revealed in scripture. And I have no intentions of going through and and refuting the argument prior to this about which Bible do you have. There's plenty of other podcasts you can go to and listen to the apologetics on why we have the Bible we have. That's not this kind of podcast. But back to Maritan. So Maritan and his wife, their nihilism was so deep that they committed to killing themselves if they did not actually find life's meaning. Quote, the solution would be suicide. Suicide before the years had accumulated their dust, before our youthful strength was spent. We wanted to die by a free act if it were impossible to live according to the truth. You can almost hear in the background a demonic question in Race's mind, but what is truth? And when we consider what happens to Maritan and Teresa, I think you'll be surprised at how they actually come to be the Christians who end up influencing global human rights laws and writing books on on Christianity and politics and revivifying a forgotten philosophical system that can lead people and pave the way for the gospel. So at this point that I've thoroughly depressed you, there is a hopeful light at the end of this dark tunnel. But it doesn't start with the Bible. And I think that this is really, really important because so many of our churches today will send somebody to the Bible, just pray more, memorize your verses a little bit more. And they're sending them to a Bible that they don't even necessarily understand. As an aside, one translator I spoke with, who will hopefully be on the show soon, said that he was with a group of youth students. And he said, what do you think the term deliverer means? And half of them thought that it was somebody who came and delivered something to their house. When we send a kid or an adult with just the cultural morass or milieu that they have, they, they find themselves in to the text and act like the text is going to be some sort of magic antidote, that can have real problems. And some people will come to Christ that way. I'm not denying that people don't have positive experiences. But I've also heard Muslims talk about prior to their conversion that it's a good thing they started in John and not the Old Testament or they never would have converted. So... All this being said is that it's not a one-size-fits-all on how you get into the embrace of Christ. And in today's era, with the Cartesian view of reality that essentially relegates religion and philosophy, ironically, to, to the sidelines, it's really important for Christianity to understand that there's a deep, rich, philosophical weapon that they can leverage against these dark, unintended implications of philosophy. And Maritan is one of those guys. Maritan ends up, instead of, he, he doesn't come in contact with a Christian right away. But in the biography, what we find is that Maritan ends up being invited to a lecture by Henri Bergson, or Henry for us Americans out there, Henry Bergson. And he describes this, Mechanerty that is, describes 
what happened to Maritan and Resa after they sat in on this lecture. Quote, Bergson proceeded on the assumption that the truth could be known, that the human mind was capable of knowing reality. Reading Plotinus, that's an ancient Greek philosopher, with Bergson had played a role in opening up the minds of Resa and Jacques to the Christian mystics, end quote. But the issue with Plotinus is that he brings in the ideas for Resa and Jacques. What Bergson does when they're reading Plotinus is it rids them of their materialism. It opens them up to a, a life that might be more meaningful. And I think this is important because it demonstrates that there is a spiritual battle out there for the mind, and God in his sovereignty did equip some people with a desire and a passion for the truth in that field of study, which is philosophy, the love of wisdom, and, and seeking that has an evangelistic effect on people. And when the church as a whole decides to just reject that, we have to understand that there are going to be consequences to that. What if Maritan never met Bergson? Maritan and Resa, in the depths of nihilism, in the university system, they're so committed to the idea that they're willing to kill themselves if life is merely absurd. And then they come to a lecture with Bergson, and he opens their eyes to a fuller picture of reality. But they don't know the God of this reality yet. But now they know that in this reality, in this existential experience that they suddenly have their eyes open to, they can now go and find God. Because maybe he exists. It's no longer, well, how do you know God exists? It's, well, maybe he does. And this becomes the impetus for living life. And so, who does he meet next? Well, he ends up coming into contact with an author, and I actually bought his book because I was like, man, I want to find out who, who led this guy to, to Christianity. The author's name was Leon Bloy. And if you've heard of him, let me know. Send an email or tweet at us or whatever, however you want to get in touch with us, but let me know because he was a very acclaimed author, according to McInerney's account of how Maritan found out about him, and that's how they discovered Leon Bloy. And this book, The Woman Who Was Poor, is the book that Maritan ultimately reads and then is so moved by it that he decides to reach out to Leon Bloy. And and just a couple of quotes from the first page and the last page. No spoilers, so if you decide to get it. The first page, there's a quote like this, just to give you an idea of what Leon Bloy's writing was like. Even showers of blood would not raise a crop of noteworthy individuals from such a soil. And then the final page, quote, there is only one misery, she said, the last time she saw him, and that is not to be saints. And it's this final sentence, according to McInerney, in Bloy's book on page 356, that leads Maritan and Resa to start considering the Catholic Church. So they reach out to, to Bloy and they want to find out what is it that made you write this book. And Bloy being the, the Catholic mystic that he is, decides that he's going to tell them all about Christianity and reading the Bible. And contrary to most Catholic uh, practice, not necessarily prescription, but practice, he reads his Bible regularly and, and begins encouraging Resa and Maritan to do the same. And so he was very adamant about Bible reading, and he becomes the godfather of Maritan and Resa. And what that means is that he's credited with them coming into the Catholic Church. 
But in wrapping up, this is this is the final final piece of Maritain's life that I think, if you've made it this far, is really really valuable for all of us to consider. When Maritain comes into the Catholic Church, he discovers that there is a prophecy around the Catholic Church that the Catholic Church, according to McInerney, has vindicated, called the apparition of La Salette, and what an apparition is is it's a appearance of Mary uh, to these two shepherds. They're young shepherds, boy and girl. One's named Melanie. And in this prophecy, Mary apparently tells these young children that the clergy are going to be corrupted and that the church is going to fall away from the faith and that Rome will be the seat of the Antichrist. And whether we believe that or not, I'm a Protestant. I'm sure that most of the people that listen to this are Protestant. But regardless of whether or not we believe that is true, Maritan ended up believing it was true. And the Catholic Church vindicated it, set up statues there, and validated that this event was real. So how does this relate to Maritan? Maritan's grandfather ends up being the lawyer who defends a woman who's falsely accused of deluding Melanie and her brother in court and wins to protect her reputation. The city had been frustrated with what the two shepherds were saying, and so they falsely accused this woman, and Jack Maritan's grandfather is the lawyer who defends them successfully. And so Maritan has a personal connection to this this apparition, and he believes it. And that's the important piece. Prior to going into the Catholic Church, Maritan decides that he's going to go visit the location of La Salette. So they go to the statue, they, they stand at the statue, and they're overwhelmed, and they end up joining the Catholic Church. But Maritain wants to do more investigation into the La Salette event. And during two years, he begins writing and researching on this. And he eventually ends up meeting with the Pope and disagreeing with the Pope on the La Salette event. And the quotes and everything in the discussion are on our website, solomonscorner.com. But I want to, for the sake of time, drill down on the fact that Maritain believed that Rome, the Catholic Church, would eventually become corrupted. But he joined anyway because of the influence of Leon Bloy and because of the truth that the Catholic Church offered him in the gospel. And that's really important for all of us to think about because in today's day and age, you can just sit online, you can go find the church that you want, but are you committed to your church? even if that church maybe is down the road going to have a rough patch or some moral failings. Too often, we Christians don't want to be affiliated with the bad reputation of of churches when somebody makes a mistake, and so we, we jump ship as soon as they make a mistake, rather than being an example of forgiveness that Christ offers us to those same people. And that doesn't mean that, I'm not saying that people shouldn't, be fired from their churches for bad scandals or any of that kind of thing. But a lot of us will see a denomination going down the tubes, and we'll just jump. We'll just go to a different one. But one of my friends has a really good quote that he's told me, and he says, every denomination needs good Christians. And so when I read Maritan, I thought to myself about the denominations that we find ourselves in. Many of them are having divisions and fights and it can just feel overwhelming and you just, want to, you just want to give up. You just want to leave. You want to go and start your own house church. You want to just sit there in your house and just study your Bible by yourself. But I think we can learn a lot from Maritan here. What if there was a prophecy 
about your denomination that said it was going to be the seat of the Antichrist, or that it was its clergy were going to be completely corrupted and infatuated with money. If that same church, though, was responsible for your eyes being open to the love of Jesus Christ and changing your life and saving you from an act of suicide, could you really justify not trying to help and preserve its goodness for as long as it possibly could be preserved? So as we close, Maritan's life does not demonstrate that philosophy is better than theology or that theology is better than philosophy. His story, regardless of your denomination, demonstrates the intersection between philosophy and theology, as well as the importance of being committed to a church even when it wavers. Maritan is a prime example of how God's law, his natural law, and his word come together to redeem man from his nihilism and dispel theological apathy in politics. Whether you're Protestant or Catholic, I hope that you will find Maritan a worthy stepping stone in your own relationship with God. So with that, thank you for joining me, and I hope that you'll join us for our next episode, A Will to Hope. And don't forget to comment or share or like or subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Support the little guy. And don't forget, keep thinking.